Good afternoon and welcome to Forest Fires. My name is John Clark. I was recently told that I was a bit of a curmudgeon. In case you don't know, a curmudgeon is defined as a crusty, ill-tempered, and usually old man. Honestly, the definition says crusty. While I admired the vocabulary use, I was a bit offended by the definition. Number one, I don't think I'm crusty at all, and I likewise don't see myself as that old. Moreover, I don't really see myself as ill-tempered about most things. Where this came from was a group that I was leading on acceptance. In that group, a man shared with me and his peers that, quote, life is hard, end quote, and that he just has some, quote, bad days, end quote. Both of these statements were made to justify why he had relapsed and why, knowing the consequences, he chose to pick the bottle back up. In response to this, I said that his statements were simply excuses, and that there is no such thing as a good day or a bad day. They are just days. Likewise, I told him that life was neither hard nor easy. It just is. Following this, he showed his vocabulary prowess, and he called me a curmudgeon. If me calling someone out on their bullshit makes me ill-tempered, so be it. But perhaps he just didn't like the truth behind my words. Regardless, this got me to thinking about the concepts of good days and bad days and the concept that life is hard. Every one of us at some point in our life has said that we are having a good day or a bad day. It's one of those phrases that we say and we don't necessarily think of what the words really mean. Days are neither good nor bad. They just are. The 24-hour time span of a day isn't concerned with what you have going on. Perhaps you have struggles, obstacles, and conflict in that 24-hour period, but it doesn't make a day good or bad. Likewise, life isn't hard, regardless of how many songs are written about it or how many times that we say it. Life is life. It's as simple as that. As I explained to the gentleman with the big vocabulary, life isn't easy, and it isn't hard. It just is. At the root of these statements and their common usage in our language is the reality that most, if not all of us, struggle with acceptance. We want the day, the world, and life to fit into our presupposed construct of how it should be, and inevitably, when we do this, we are let down. At the core of this is the desire for control. We want the world to look and feel the way that we want it to, and we want people to react and behave the way that we want them to. As we've talked about before, control is a delusion that can keep us sick for a very long time, even after we've removed the substances from our life. The AA Big Book says that acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. The Big Book goes on to say that when I am disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way that it's supposed to be at this moment. End quote. Basically, the big book is suggesting that I have no control over outside situations, people, or places. All that I have control over is how I react to them. Now, this is a fine concept, and I agree with it logically, but the reality is acceptance is hard. Carl Jung, the famous psychologist said that 
We cannot change anything unless we accept it. This is similar to my analogy that we cannot treat an illness until and unless we are willing to diagnose it. The concept of acceptance is simply this. I don't have to like that a person, place, or thing is the way that it is, but I do have to acknowledge that it is that way. Countless people have gotten drunk or high because they didn't like the way the world was going or they didn't like the way a person was behaving. During the last presidential election cycle, I met numerous patients that were not only addicted to the substances that they were consumed, but they were also addicted to the chaos that existed inside of their television screens. They became obsessed with this politician or that politician that was taking the country down, and this idea or that idea that was going to be the ruin of us all. And I'm not here to suggest that these ideas are right or wrong, but what I am here to suggest is that dwelling upon them was detrimental to their sobriety, and it is and was detrimental to our overall well-being. Whenever I talk about acceptance, I also have to reference the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer is a flagship concept within the 12-step recovery program, and it's a foundational pillar in my own personal program. The serenity prayer says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Simple enough, right? But reading the serenity prayer and understanding the serenity prayer are two very different things. And even more difficult than that is applying these concepts to our day-to-day -day program of recovery and to our life in general. First, what does serenity really mean? It's a simple enough word, right? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines serenity as, quote, the state of being calm, peaceful, and untroubled, end quote. Even though the term peace is contained within the definition of serenity, it is important to understand that peace and serenity are not interchangeable terms. Peace is defined as, quote, freedom from disturbance, tranquility, end quote. Peace refers to outside elements, like the world and the people and places within them. I would love for the world to be a peaceful place, free from disturbance and tranquil, and perhaps one day it can be, but today it's not. There are wars and violence and hunger and sadness and loss. It has always been that way, and by the looks of it, it's probably not going to change anytime soon. Peace means something different to me today than it did six years ago when I was just beginning my recovery journey. The long and short of it is this. Peace has different meanings to different people, and about different things. Peace may simply mean that we aren't shooting at each other anymore, or peace may mean that we aren't arguing. Peace is a wonderful ideological concept, but it is one that we have very little control over. Serenity, on the other hand, is an internal process. As the definition explains, serenity is a state of being. It has absolutely nothing to do with outside circumstances or situations. At its core, serenity simply says that you know that you've done all that you possibly can do. Serenity doesn't mean that your world is devoid of conflict. It simply means that you've done all that you can personally do to quell the conflict, and thus there's nothing more for you to do. Serenity is closer in definition to rest than it is to peace, yet the vast majority of educated people out there would likely disagree with me on this. At this point, we need to look back at the language of the serenity prayer. The prayer seeks acceptance for the things that we cannot control. What can't we control? Well, we can't control the weather, 
That's a pretty easy one to acknowledge, right? We can't control another person's behaviors. We can't control the economy. We honestly can't control much of anything if we look at it truthfully. Better than asking what we can't control, ask what we can control. The only thing that we really ever have any control over is our behavior, our reactions, and our thinking. The Serenity Prayer asks us to find the courage to change the things that we can, yet it asks for acceptance of the things that we don't have control over. Why the distinction between courage and acceptance? Remember, acceptance doesn't mean approval. It simply means an acknowledgement that things are a certain way. I don't have to like that I have to pay taxes, but I better damn well accept that unless I want to find out what federal prison food is like. Why does it ask for courage to change the things that we can change, instead of perhaps acceptance, awareness, or even knowledge? Because for most of us, we will have to change how we react, how we behave, and how we think if we ever hope to find any real serenity. And that's going to take an enormous amount of courage. The world, our parents, our culture, and countless other external forces have programmed us from birth with how to react, how to think, and how to behave. It's no coincidence that fast foods ads are played late in the evening and they depict beautiful pictures of delicious looking food. These ads have been scientifically tested and studied and have been determined to strike a chord within our psyche that will make us forget that never once has that burger ever looked as good in real life as it does on that television commercial. We are all the attentive audience members of a multi-billion dollar scheme to make us think, react, and behave in certain ways. Now this isn't limited to fast food restaurants either. Every conceivable product is shoved down our throat in this way. There is a reason that we realize 20 minutes into an infomercial that we cannot live without whatever gadget they are selling. And then end up with buyer's remorse when we see the stacks of Amazon packages on our doorstep. These same deceptive and manipulative tactics are employed by so-called news organizations and politicians. They play upon our fear, upon our self-consciousness, upon our wants, and upon our needs. These entities are skilled at telling us what we should be scared of, and then telling us that only they can rid us of that fear. The Serenity Prayer asks us to find the courage to change our behaviors, our reactions, and our thoughts, because changing these things is scary. We have to let go of thoughts and ideas that we have had for generations, and we must step outside of the comfortable confines of predictability. We must become conscious of our thoughts, reactions, and our behaviors, and we must begin making a willful attempt to change them. We have to find the courage to look at why we think the way that we do, why we react the way that we do, and why we behave the way that we always have. Now, I'm not suggesting that to successfully work the 12 steps or to get and stay sober, you have to change your morals or your basic beliefs. But what I am suggesting is that to successfully work a program of recovery, you're going to have to change your standardized thinking patterns, your standard and predictable reactions, and your normal behaviors. Getting and staying sober can be terrifying for many of us, and it's a completely foreign concept. We have to do and say things that are outside of our comfort zone and things that are in many cases against our grain. But you have to ask yourself, how well are your normal reactions, your standard behaviors, and your regular feelings serving you? In my case, I had to acknowledge that my thinking was toxic and dangerous. 
My reactions were unpredictable and detrimental, and my overall behaviors weren't acceptable to my own moral code. Of course, this is an exercise in self-review, a self-diagnosis, if you will, and it is only after a self-diagnosis has been completed that you can ever hope to heal the wounds that exist. The last part of the serenity prayer asks that we find the wisdom to distinguish between the things that are within our control and those that are outside of it. Now, wisdom doesn't just mean sage knowledge. There are lots of well-educated and smart people that are still struggling with addiction. I once had a patient that was struggling with addiction as bad as anyone I had ever met. Yet, he had multiple degrees and even a PhD. Clearly, he was educated, and clearly he was skilled with knowledge. But knowledge alone does not give us wisdom, and knowledge alone could not keep him sober. The definition of wisdom is pretty straightforward. It says, the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. In a more practical sense, wisdom is knowledge plus time and experience. Being educated and knowledgeable is important, but beyond our education and our knowledge, we must learn to apply the principles and concepts that we have gained in the real world, and that is going to take some time, some practice, and some trial and error. So, the more time that we invest in using our knowledge, the more experience that we gain, and thus, the wiser that we become. Have you ever noticed that when the word wisdom is used, we often think of the wise old owl, or a long-bearded old man, or an old woman that knows exactly what to say at exactly the right moment? Wisdom doesn't require us to be of any certain age, but generally, the older that we are, the more experience that we have, and thus, the greater potential that we have for being wise. So what do we know so far? One, we have to accept life on life terms, not on the terms that we think are fair, and then we must find the courage to change how we react and respond. This isn't an easy process at all. Still to this day, I find myself wanting to stomp my feet and throw a tantrum because the world isn't behaving the way that I think it should. The difference between me today and the me that was drinking and using a little over six years ago is that today I take the time to evaluate why I am feeling the way that I do before I react. Each and every one of us is entitled to feel however we choose to feel. No one has the right to tell you otherwise. But with this right comes a responsibility. You have the responsibility to understand why you feel the way that you do and you have a responsibility to act upon your feelings in a reasonable way. Always remember, recovery is a journey. It is one of progress, not one of perfection. You will never do this all the right way, and you're never going to get to a point where you don't have irrational emotions. That's just who we are as human beings. But if you work this program, apply the steps, and change your way of thinking, behaving, and reacting, you won't find yourself a prisoner to your own emotions. At the end of the day, recovery is about freedom. It's about growth. It's about becoming a more honest version of yourself. And it's about becoming free, even if that freedom is from your own thinking. Thank you for tuning in to Forest Fires. Reach out and help another alcoholic or an addict today. Ask for help and help those that seek the same. Continue to be a light in the darkness for those that continue to struggle with this horrible disease. And as always, stay reachable, stay teachable, and stay humble. Thank you.